What up, AOTA family? Welcome to Passing Period and All the Above Podcast Extra. We like to drop these in between our full episodes because, of course, our full episodes go on YouTube, video show, takes a while to edit, all that good stuff. So, um, Passing Period, in between those full episodes, this is uh, Manuel Rustin, your favorite teacher's favorite teacher, and I'm here with Jeff. And Jeff, I am sorry to inform you, but I have some, you know, some pretty unfortunate news. Um, Now, you know, on the plus side... Um, looking at the election results, um, we have a new president coming in, um, Joseph Biden, and, you know, Trump is up out of here. But unfortunately, Jeff, that also means that one of your, one of your, um, heroes in education, Miss Betsy DeVos is, um, likely to be on her way out as well. So I know, you know, it's tough for you to hear that. Um, but you know, on the plus side, we have, we have Biden come in and I think maybe we should take a moment to discuss what this election means for, for educators and in, in schools across the country. And maybe we start there with, um, president elect Biden coming in. What are your thoughts, Jeff? Yeah, man. Well, you know, it is, uh, today is a very interesting day because after all of this uncertainty for most of the last week, um, I woke up this morning and, you know, one of the, one of the funny things about living on the West Coast and having all your family in the Midwest and the East Coast is when you, when I turn on my phone in the morning, I get the flurry of early, early morning messages that they've, you know, 34 unread text messages that they've been sending back and forth. And I uh, started getting the TikTok videos and the, and the you know, videos of people honking horns in, you know, Brooklyn and stuff. Um, so, yeah, big news, right? Um, and assuming it holds, I, what, I, what I actually find really fascinating about this federal and presidential election is we haven't talked much about the ramifications on education. And, of course, in, you know, in the middle of a pandemic, uh, maybe that's maybe that's fine because you know we have an economic depression and hundred thousand people a day getting COVID right now. So there are there are other things to talk about, but uh, we should spend some time talking about the education ramifications here. And first and foremost, and I this is um this is a very carefully researched scientific statement here, Manuel. America's worst trash Secretary of Education of all time one of the worst human beings to ever occupy an office that is ostensibly about serving children, families, and communities, now looks to be on her way out. And uh, she's one of the the longest serving cabinet officers in the tumultuous Trump administration, and that is a dubious badge of shame. <laughs> frankly, uh, and she's going to be gone. And literally every single child in America is better off for the fact that Betsy DeVos may go. And I, I have lots of um, places where I want to push the, uh, the Biden administration. I have, I have um, little hope on, <laughs> on a lot of the big issues I, I, carry, I care about most passionately, but I'm happy to say that it's impossible to do worse than Betsy DeVos as U.S. Secretary of Education. And her ridiculous behind is going to be um, yachting back to Michigan uh, on on one of her many yachts, Manuel. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Yeah. That is uh, obviously fantastic. And her being the the number one hater of all the above, that means now she has much more time on her hands to watch each of our episodes and hit that that thumbs down that she likes to do. And um, yeah, so that's, I uh, I agree. It will be next to impossible to do worse 
than her as Secretary of Education. So I am very, very, very pleased to finally, finally be able to say bye-bye to Betsy DeVos. And to your point, there's there's a lot of a lot of things I would love to see out of this next administration, and I'm not very hopeful for most of them, but I am very, very pleased that at least Betsy will be up out of here, and that is just um, that's a win for for kids all across the country. It's a win for educators. It's a, a huge win for public schools. It's a huge win for student rights. Um, it's a huge win for uh, you know students in higher ed who've had to um, borrow money to to pay for college. And of course, this isn't as big of a win as it would have been if we had uh, perhaps Bernie or Elizabeth Warren or somebody else win the presidency um, in that regard. But at least we won't have Betsy up there trying to block all the um, promises made to to help folks forgive their loans. So yeah, man, good riddance, you know, to, to quote the, the, the old African-American proverb, you, you ain't got to go home, but you got to get the hell up out of here. So <laughs> good riddance to Betsy for sure. But Jeff, this election is about so much more than just Secretary of Education for sure. So um, what do we know about the potential for, um, you know, what, what a Biden presidency would even mean for public education? Yeah, so it's interesting. I mean, I think honestly, there's still a lot to unpack because there, what Biden presented as his agenda during the campaign, went almost entirely like unscrutinized in the in the sort of national discourse, right? Um, right. What what was perhaps most fascinating was the distinction between Trump's platform <laughs> on education and Biden's, right? And this literally was Trump's platform on education, okay? This is literally, I'm reading from an article um, <laughs> which reprinted what he said in full, uh, and it goes as follows. Bullet one, provide school choice to every child in America. Bullet two, teach American exceptionalism. End scene, <laughs> okay? So. <laughs> That's a very detailed platform right there. Yeah. And the third bullet that, of course, uh, always goes unstated is like gut, ruin, slash and burn the institution of public school. So um, so that was one side of the equation. Biden's <laughs> platform was was interesting. Definitely, you know, I think uh, would would be sort of thought of by most observers, right, as like a pretty typical like liberal democratic uh, education agenda, right? So it included things like, um, you know, more funding for certain support programs for educators, teacher leadership, mentoring, PD, very typical kind of stuff there. Um, some uh, additional investment in the public service uh, student loan forgiveness program, which uh, Trump and DeVos just completely gutted and denied, you know, 90 plus, 95 plus percent of applicants. So I think we could probably expect it to be a huge uptick in, in loan forgiveness. And that's not only just for educators, right? That includes like social workers and, you know, other folks working in public service fields. Um, they want to do more investment in services in schools, like investing in community schools, mental health supports, those sorts of things. Um, increasing funding for special ed, uh, which is, you know, which is a big deal. And then a bunch of huge investments in childcare. Um, including, you know, tax credit kinds of things, and then incentives for construction of new child care centers. Now, my hunch is that, you know, of course, this agenda is going to get reworked, you know, um, and also 
uh, COVID has a, you know, has an impact here, right? So I can imagine they're, they're going to probably want to invest tremendously in like physical safety and HVAC systems in schools. And, you know, if we need more, we already needed more daycares, more childcare centers, and now we might need even more childcare centers to keep the numbers of kids, you know, down in those centers and, uh, you know, and allow them to be economically sustainable. So, I can I could see lots of evolution coming there, but um, certainly way more on the plate in terms of what the Biden administration has said publicly it is planning to do. Right. Yeah. Um, so all that for sure. And as a history teacher, I am pleased to see that the 1776 commission and all that, all those narratives about restoring um, American exceptionalism in the classroom and, and teaching of American history. I'm happy to see that that will fade away, as will Betsy DeVos. So I'm I'm very happy about that. Is that because you hate America, Manuel? Is that your deep your deep hatred of freedom coming through that I that I smell? Oh man, maybe you do catch a whiff of that. I guess because evidently that's what it means to to teach honest, truthful histories. Yeah. <laughs> there yes. you go with yes. that with that liberal propaganda. Of course, of course. And the folks can't even see the shirt I'm wearing. Don't even tell them about the shirt I'm wearing because- This is um, the communist AOC and me shirt that you're wearing right now? Uh, I, I can neither confirm nor deny. But <laughs> but we know that this uh, this election, like all elections, um, isn't just about the presidency. There's so many other items on the ballot, especially, uh, particularly here in California this year, um, there are a lot of things on the ballot impacting our schools, impacting edu- education. Um, that we wanted to to unpack as well, because you know the narrative out there is that California is this this um, super super liberal deep blue state. I have heard it referred to as um, commie for uh, fornia. I can't even, I don't even know how to say that, but California, but with commie in the beginning <laughs> instead of Cali. Um, I've seen it written like that on Facebook several times, and I have had one or two conservative folks try to talk to me about how uh, folks are fleeing California because it's a liberal disaster and they're moving to, to red states and this and that. But looking at these uh, election results in California, Jeff, I, I don't see it. I don't see that that deep blue, far left, liberal, progressive um, agenda that folks claim that California is all about. So. Uh, let's let's just get into it. I mean, I think the the biggest item that we've talked about a few times on this show was Prop 16, which would have undone the um, what the changes made by Prop 209 in the 1990s. Prop 16, long story short, would have brought back affirmative action and race conscious admissions uh, to California. California is one of nine states that does not allow affirmative action um, in any kind of way, and Prop 16 was going to restore affirmative action to help fight against the systemic racism that is still experienced by so many marginalized communities. And Prop 16, you would think in liberal California would pass or at least would be close. But uh, the results show that Prop 16 did not pass. And in fact, um, it lost by a pretty wide margin. So um, 56% of California voters said no to Prop 16, 56.5% um, according to the numbers I'm looking at right now. That's um that's a really really heavy statement, Jeff. We had a do now story about Prop 16 and in polling, and you know, look early on like folks were against it, and and we discussed why that was, and and you said you know California just isn't as liberal as folks claim it to be, and I said you know a, a lot of this is just folks don't really understand Prop 16 and they're not sure about it. So I was hoping that the 
uh, campaign to spread the word about it and to um, help inform voters about Prop 16. I was hoping that that would that would turn the tide for it, but it, it did not, Jeff. It did not. So what are your thoughts on the failure of um, Prop 16? Well, I, I kind of am of a mixed mind, Manuel. I mean, on the one hand, I am disappointed, right? Um, I, I, I was super hopeful that like this, not only is this just sound policy, right? The, uh, the history of the United States to which California is no exception and, and California has its, has its own uh, internal history where it, has, where it has been the Mississippi of the West towards Mexican-Americans, towards Filipinos, towards Chinese folks, towards Japanese folks, towards black people, right? Like we have a deep history of racial oppression that has literally shaped the, the society. And of course, I just skipped over the colonial <laughs> history. So let me not forget to name that with all of our indigenous brothers and sisters here uh, on this um, unceded land upon which we are currently recording. So the I say all that to say the burden of creating racial equity is incredibly uh, important to note and for us to actively work on addressing. And I figured if in any year we were gonna see movement on this, that this year, you know, 2020, coming out of the mass mobilization of folks in the street, um, you know, coming out, coming out of the pandemic, coming in response to the just absurd white nationalism of, you know, the Republican Party in Washington, um, and frankly, here in California too, uh, that this was the time that we were going to see like this this wrong of Prop 209 be be overturned and um, and yet as we looked at you know a couple episodes back we talked about some of the early polling results right and how it wasn't looking good and this turned out exactly that way and when you look um, we're we're you know kind of quoting here from a really great infographic on EdSource's website um, which you know, has a county by county map in the state. And if you look, there are only, I think, five counties, may, or maybe it's more, six or seven counties statewide where Prop 16 got a majority of votes, right? And they are literally like Oakland, San Francisco, and Los Angeles. <laughs> and then like a couple, of, like shout out to Monterey County as well, which is, I guess, technically not San Francisco, but it's like San Francisco adjacent, right? <laughs> so this right, is right. literally like the the innermost parts of the urban core of of uh, of the biggest urban cores of Los Angeles, uh, of excuse me, of California. Yeah. And everywhere else, including even San Diego, um, you know, it got a minority of votes, right? And so, I think what this reveals is. California is much more similar to the rest of the United States than, than we like to think. And um, when we are talking about issues of just sort of, uh, you know, bigotry or not bigotry, right? Californians are tend to be very liberal and progressive. But when we're talking about power sharing in any type of way, Californians are very conservative um, on the whole, uh, as is most of the country still at this point. And, um, you know, and and people pushed back. They pushed back because they they believe they are entitled <laughs> to a better social position than those poor black and brown folks. Right. 
and yeah. um, and that's that's what's happening. Like people wonder, you know, where do all where do these seventy million Trump voters come from or whatever, right? Like, yeah, well, a lot of them came from right here in California. <laughs> uh, four point six million of them, Jeff, came from California. Um, of course, California, uh, in terms of the the results as they stand right now, Biden won California sixty four percent to thirty three percent. But that means there's 4.6 million people in California who voted for Trump. I saw many of them people with my own eyes um, exactly one week ago when I had the unfortunate experience of being stuck in the middle of one of those Trump rallies, not rallies, um, parades like of cars um, right here on Ventura Boulevard. I was trying to get on the freeway, me and the wife. And, uh, you know, we turned left to get on Ventura to get on the freeway. And boom, we were like right smack dab in the middle of one of those like really big, really lengthy uh, lines of cars with all the Trump flags and all that stuff, like right there in the middle, uh, right here on Ventura Boulevard, um, Los Angeles. So yeah, plenty of Trump supporters out here. California is far from being um, nearly as liberal as, as, as folks say. If you look at the county by county breakdown for the presidential race, you can see there's there's many, many, many uh, red counties here in California. Um, but still, I was hoping Prop 16. I mean, honestly, like when I talked about Prop 16 in my government class, you know, having them read the voter guide and and um, do some research, a lot of my students, my students are are by and large very progressive. And, and a lot of my students, the overwhelming majority of them were like, no, we don't want that. We don't want that. They had totally misunderstood what it meant and what it was saying. So after breaking it down and have, after having them look at some other literature, once they understood it, they're like, oh, yeah, no, we definitely want that. So I still believe that there are many voters out there who who misinterpreted what Prop 16 was. I don't know if it was enough. To, you know, I doubt it would have been enough to to uh, change the results. But I, I do think that lack of clarity on that proposition did have a lot to do with why it lost by such a wide margin. Um I could be wrong. I don't know if it matters at this point. Well, it does matter because we have to, you know, figure out what the next steps are. But shout out to everybody who who worked really, really, really hard to try to undo the the really, really, really um, damaging Proposition 209 from the 1990s. Um, I, I was really surprised and really heartened to see Prop 16 even on the ballot. So shout out to Assemblywoman Shirley Weber and of course Ed Trust West and all the organizations out there that that made it happen and, and at least brought it up to. Um, brought it up to the voters to decide. So shout out to all of them for all their work. Now, that wasn't the only proposition that had to do with education. We recently, on a passing period, discussed Prop 18, which would have allowed 17-year-olds to vote in primaries and special elections if they would be 18 by the time of the general election. So, you know, very small, you know, small population of folks who would be um, voting in those primaries and special elections, um, just the sliver of 17-year-olds who would be 18 in time for the general election. And we talked about that on the show, like why not give them the voice? Why not um, allow them to have a say, especially if they are going to be eligible 18-year-old um, voters in the general election? But um, liberal California strikes again and said, nope, we don't want those 17-year-olds voting in primaries. So that one failed by pretty much the same margin as Prop 16 failed. Uh, so that one wasn't even close. So 17-year-olds who are going to be 18 for general election time, sorry, you still can't vote in the primary. Um, not even close, Jeff. Are you surprised by that one? You know, I'm a little bit more surprised by that one because um, because I, I thought this was one of those issues that's, that's less challenging to the power structure, right? Because um, there aren't actually that many 17-year-olds that this would have granted the right to vote to, right? So I thought this would be more similar to Californians' feelings about granting expanded voting rights to folks who were 
uh, who were formerly uh, incarcerated, right? Um, and so, you know, I, I thought it might fall in people's minds into that category of kind of like, this is a good, liberal, nice thing to do. We should do it, right? Um, I, I, I do wonder if it reveals just generally people's um, bias, perhaps against young people and people's feeling like, you know, they can't trust young people to, to make good decisions now. Um, you know, we, we talked about this on that, <laughs> on that recent episode, but I'm like, if you look at exit poll data, man, there's a whole lot of us out here making unwise decisions <laughs> or at yeah. least decisions one could argue are unwise or contrary to their economic or political interests. So, um, why should 17 year olds be held to a different, you know, different standard? Um, yeah, th I was disappointed because to me, this is one where it felt like, this was a well-crafted piece of legislation that makes perfect sense. If you're going to be able to vote in the general, you should be able to have a say on who you get to vote for in the general, right? Um, that's just right. like basically, that's basic fairness, right? Um, so I'm disappointed, but also like, am I really surprised? Not so, you know, not so much. Um, just more disappointed, I think, than anything else. Yeah. I, I'm I'm surprised. I don't know. I don't know why I'm surprised. Maybe I shouldn't be surprised, but I mean, it wasn't even close. Like, damn. I mean, whatever. Uh, so you know, I saw somebody tweet out, and I don't remember who it was. Um, so apologies, but somebody tweeted out. Somebody from Colorado tweeted out um, all the things that Colorado accomplished in this election, and it's a long list of of really great progressive stuff. Shout out to everybody in Colorado. Shout out to our peoples in Colorado. Um, Obviously, uh, you know, Julia Torres and and Kevin Munoz um, or Gerardo Munoz and Kevin Adams, two dope teachers and and all, all of our peoples out there. Um, and I remember feeling kind of jealous that they were able to, that this person was able to tweet this out, this long list of, of progressive movements that um, Cal uh, Colorado voters were able to, to affirm in this election. Because like as a Californian, I was like, okay, what would our list look like? And it's like, um, no to affirmative action. No to young people voting, um, no to updating property tax laws in order to provide more funding for schools, which was Prop 15, which also didn't pass. And it's just like, well, damn, like what is there really to be happy about? There was a proposition that um, basically sided with Uber and Lyft in how they use and abuse their their uh, workers as independent contractors. And it's just like not a whole lot of, of, of things to be really happy about as a, as a Californian who identifies as as being progressive in a lot of things. So, so you know, all that stuff was bum uh, a, a real bummer for me. There were some measures that passed in in LA County and in uh, or LA uh, for LA Unified Schools and for uh, Pasadena Unified Schools. Some measures to um, get some more funding to update facilities and do some cool stuff. So I was happy to see those pass. So we have you know um, some new funding sources for for some of our local school systems here, which is which is great. But overall, it's kind of a just mixed mixed bag of results, I think, uh, from my perspective as a, a teacher and as a Californian. But obviously, I'm super, super excited to see that um, that Trump is gone and that Betsy will be gone. Um, you know, I'm thinking about who the next secretary of education will be. I don't know how much it even matters because it's not going to be Betsy. And that's that's the most important thing uh, for me. But um, definitely, I would co-sign. I would co-sign anybody. But I've seen folks <laughs> tweet out about um, Linda Darling-Hammond, perhaps. I know 
the JLV, a recent guest, has, has written about, um, you know, kind of tongue-in-cheek, but kind of maybe, maybe not, um, possibly um, throwing his hat in the ring for for next Secretary of Education. I would I would co-sign Dr. Goldie Muhammad, another recent guest. I would co-sign uh, Rodney Robinson, a recent um, National Teacher of the Year. I would co-sign my, my Milken brother, uh, Wade Whitehead, highly qualified for that. I would co-sign anybody who's not named Betsy DeVos. Um, so we'll see what happens there, man. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I, you know, I would, um, I'm gonna, I want to comment on that, but I, I would be remiss not to give a shout out also to, um, since we were talking about our, our Colorado connections, uh, Jeremy Jensen of the uh, Humble Badass Educators podcast that I had the, the pleasure of appearing on last week. Um, so shout, shout out to Jeremy as well. And, um, I, you know, it's interesting, Manuel, the, um, the, the kind of schizophrenia, right, of like, sort of overwhelming anti-Trump turnout uh, in California, and then also like pretty overwhelming skepticism of a lot of real progressive ballot measures. That said, there was such huge, and I know you got hit like over the head with this as a you know homeowner in the Valley, uh, like such like oppressive amounts of money flooding into television advertising, glossy mailers, radio advertising, Facebook and YouTube advertising, email campaigns. I mean, it's obnoxious, the amount of money that was flowing here in California, right? Like folks think that that happens in, you know, in Pennsylvania and Ohio and Michigan, right? In like the swing states here in California, that happened like Prop 22. It was like an ad everywhere I turned. Prop 22 is the proposition that Manuel mentioned that that um, supposedly protected the rights of Uber drivers and Lyft drivers to, uh, yeah. you know, to maintain their status as second class citizen employees. Right. Not actually employees, but no benefits. Right. So, you know, the intrusion of money was so profound. Right. They spent you know, hundreds of millions of dollars on on this on these campaigns to get these ballot measures declined, right? And so I do think that there is a just sort of like um, lack of information that happens to people that that shapes uh, a lot of these decisions, right? When you're just when you open up Uber Eats and there's a little message that tells you like your driver Linda really wants you to vote, you know, yeah. whatever, no on Prop 22, or yes, on Prop 22, uh, you know, you it shapes your consciousness, right? And we saw oh, yeah. a lot of that here in California, which might explain some of what you, you, were, you were naming there. Um, but yeah, Secretary of Education is, is fascinating. I do think something we didn't mention earlier about Biden's uh, platform that's kind of fascinating is the, the huge role the U.S. Department of Ed plays in college uh, college funding, right? And so the move to provide, for example, like free community college or free tuition to families who make less than, I think it's like $125,000 or something around there was in Biden's platform, right? So the, the idea that we'll have a U.S. Secretary of Ed who would be willing to carry the torch on those issues, although they don't go far enough, from my perspective, those are material benefits to yeah. the vast majority of people in this country that like could be transformative in some important ways. So, yeah, absolutely, excellent points there. And again, I want to shout out everybody who has helped make this election season happen and help um, you know organize and and get Trump up out the office and get uh, Betsy DeVos up out of here. Shout out to all of y'all. 
Shout out to all the organizers in California, for sure, who have um, worked hard to to get those propositions on the ballot. And I know the work continues, but shout out to all of you. Shout out to all of our, our listeners and all of our viewers. Now, if you've been with us for a while, you know we've been on a hell of a streak on all of the above. Our, our guests recently have just been such heavy hitters. I mean, we had the director of the teacher education program at Harvard, uh, Dr. V, on our show recently. We had the director of UCLA's teacher education program, uh, Dr. Emma Hippolito, on our show recently. We had the author of Cultivating Genius, Dr. Goldie Muhammad, was recently on our show. Um, UCLA professor Dr. Terrence Keel was on our show to talk about the intersections of of race and anti-racism and, and science classes. We had Jose Wilson, um, dedicated a celebrated math teacher on our show. We had uh, Julia E. Torres, one of the dopest, if not the dopest, uh, school librarian and English language arts educator in the nation on our show. We had Dr. Bettina Shea, the director of teacher education at Laverne. We've had just so, so many super dope heavy hitters. We had the two dope teachers, uh, Gerardo Munoz and, and Kevin Adams on our show as well. We've just been on a streak big time. And if you've missed any of those episodes, you definitely want to go back and 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 catch those. Next week would normally be the time where we bring on the next heavy hitter. But with the election, with all the, the things going on, our next heavy hitter is going to come actually the week after that. Um, the, the second largest public school district in the nation um, has a new member of the school board. And it was one of the most hotly contested races for a school board in the whole nation. And the winner of that election, the newest member of the LA Unified School Board, will be on our show in our next full episode. That is none other than Tanya Ortiz Franklin. And she'll talk to us about that experience of running in this hotly contested race and also her vision for um, the future of LA Unified and the future of, of doing the work of supporting and bringing justice, educational justice to um, all communities, particularly those who have been historically marginalized and disenfranchised. So another heavy hitter is coming. Um, but next week, we're going to be at you with another passing period to, to continue to debrief and reflect on the results of this election and what's been going on around the world of education. But the next heavy hitter is on the way. But we're going to give you all a little bit of time to catch up on all those previous episodes with all those super dope super dope guests. All right. So uh, make sure you hit us up on our YouTube channel. If you haven't already subscribe there, youtube.com slash all of the above. And uh, we just want to thank y'all so much for your continued support. We see y'all. And um, yeah, now it's time for you to uh, get to class. <laughs>